questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Got a stress case in your life? Of course you do. Without question, many of us have mastered the neurotic art of spending much of our lives worrying about a variety of things all at once. Tonight's special guest, Cheerful Book, aims to make us stop and smell, if not roses, whatever is sitting in front of our noses. Don't sweat the small stuff. Offers guidance designed to make you appreciate being alive. Keep your emotions, especially anger and dissatisfaction, in proper perspective, and cherish other people as the unique miracles that they are. So if you want to learn how to put challenges in perspective, reduce stress and anxiety through small daily changes, and find the path to achieving your goals, then this interview and the book are for you. What if you change your perspective and think of your problems as the potential quote-unquote teachers? Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. Subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to this full interview and all of our material. Tonight's special guest is New York Times best-selling author and world-renowned speaker, Christine Carlson. Christine is passionate about spreading her message of waking up to life with joy and gratitude amidst the ups and downs of this earthly existence. Her life mission is to expand upon the phenomenal success of her late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson's work in the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series. She continues his legacy of peaceful and mindful living through her own best-selling books. Over the past two decades, Chris and Richard have sold more than 25 million books. She has been featured in national radio and television broadcasts, including the Today Show, Good Morning America, The View, and The Oprah Winfrey Show. And we have a more comprehensive bio right on our website. And she joins us directly from Northern California. Hello, Christine. How are you? Hey, I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me on, Mel. Oh, it's my pleasure and an honor. You know, the name of the book we're discussing today is the classic Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And it's all small stuff. That's part of the title, which has sold over 25 million copies. From the perspective of those who haven't read the book yet, they may say, hold on, Mel, that sounds easier said than done. Why don't we start with probably one of the biggest challenges you faced a few years ago when your husband, Dr. Richard Carlson, a well-known international speaker and author, passed away unexpectedly. That is not small stuff. Your daughters were, were young at the time. So before we begin our, our discussion and to put things in perspective, for our listeners, who was Dr. Richard Carlson and how did you overcome that tragic event? Wow. Well, um, let me just take a really deep breath and invite all of your listeners to take a really deep breath with me, too. Um, because, you know, that time in our lives, you know, at that time in our lives, we were at the 10th anniversary of Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. It was um, 10 years ago now that Richard very suddenly passed away while on a flight to New York. He died of a pulmonary embolism. So it wasn't something that we had any warning about. It wasn't that he was ill or that we knew that he was ill or anything. He just, he just had, you know, really sudden death. And, um, you know, Richard was everything that anybody would aspire to want to be as a man. I mean, he was a very high integrity man. He was kind. He practiced, you know, what he preached to people, um, he, he, you know, he lived his life in interest of helping 
humanity grow, really. I mean, he, I don't think that he could have known the kind of impact that he was going to have. I don't think anybody really does know that. Um, you know, it was, it was surprising when it happened in his career on his 10th book. Um, but he was such a pure hearted soul that, you know, it was, it was really wonderful. And we certainly, um, you know, enjoyed the part of it that, you know, really served people the most and, and certainly enjoyed that run of success that we had as a couple and a family too. And it was, you know, really shocking, of course, like it is for anybody, you know, 10 years ago, we were in a place in our lives where we were in midlife and we had no anticipation that this was going to happen to our lives. So it was, it was like having the rug pulled out from under your feet and then doing a very long free fall and grief and, you know, as a family trying to put the pieces together and, and no, it wasn't small stuff at all. You know, it was, it was big stuff, but a lot of times people ask me, you know, and, and how my work has grown over the years. I've, I've done a lot of work with widows and with people who are in grief and loss. And they often ask me if there's a way to prepare for that kind of loss. And I often say, yeah, you know, you really do prepare for loss every day that you live. And if you practice living a happy life where you keep life in perspective, it's not as if that is the way you practice loss, but you're able to be resilient in the face of huge changes and huge loss because you have really understood how to keep the small stuff in perspective and how to practice a really healthy, happy life. So Eventually, after you go through a process of grief, you'll return to that place and even feel possibly even more joy just because you've been through something, you know, so big in your life that you've survived. And, you know, in my case, it wasn't just enough to survive. I had I really wanted to choose to thrive. And eventually that's where I arrived at. That's great. And the fact that you're carrying the torch and so many years after the light still on for everybody and you know you gain fans on a daily basis i know that for a fact but chris you know for many people society has lost its way and being selfless is less sexy than taking selfies with this new world of social media counting likes and and being self-absorbed and caring so much about what people think of us how do we go back to basics Wow. Well, that's a great question and certainly something that um, our society has to answer today. Um, you know, I, I think that um, it, it goes back to, you know, what are your values in life? And I think a lot of times we just assume that our values stay the same, you know, whereas like our values can change based upon our actions and the life that we practice. And I think what's we're going to see happen with people is that they're going to get sick and tired of being on their cell phones and on their social media and and the fact that their life is going to pass them by even faster because they're not being present to it you know it, you cannot be even present to a beautiful picture of a beautiful scene you know like there's this there's this dialogue that has to begin to happen in our culture, I think, about, and I do believe at some point it, it will have to swing back toward, you know, people realizing that, you know, there's just, there's times and limits and, 
you have to put your social media away. Like one of the things that I love is when you have an agreement with friends and your family that social media, like cell phones, all electronics are away from mealtime, you know, so that at least at mealtime, you don't see kids, you know, at the table, like talking to their friends and chatting as opposed to looking at the parents and, and the, and the parents can be just equally as, as guilty of days as well or couples and they're out in restaurants you know on their cells chatting with other people when they you know ought to be looking across the eyes of each other and you know commuting about their lives together and you know to build their own relationships so you know these are kinds of things that I think that people are going to have to look at and disciplines you know that people are going to have to put in place in their own lives and it's going to be based on a lot of things, you know, I think there's a lot of studies now that are showing that every time your phone, you know, is in your pocket and it beeps and buzzes that you have a cortisol spike. I think there was a special on 60 Minutes the other night about that, that um, Anderson Cooper, they were doing a test with him and he had a phone in his pocket and every time his phone buzzed, his cortisol spiked. Well, the cortisol is the stress hormone um, you know, that having too much of in your system is, is not good. You know, it's, they call it the death hormone actually. And you want to, you know, not have that happen. And so if we think about that, it behooves us to put our, um, you know, phones away at night, um, you know, keep all those things that are, um, blue light out of our room at night, you know, just, just acquire some healthy life practices that just, are really about using common sense and maybe doing a little research. That's that's what I think is going to have to happen. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the phones because just a quick story to put things in perspective. I recently went on vacation and to the Caribbean and I took your book with me. I was wondering why, even while I'm on vacation, it's hard for me to disconnect myself from my business, technology, the web, you know, et cetera. That, that was a source of annoyance to me. And, and this thing about cortisol, I truly believe it. So I kept wondering, how did people do it years ago before cell phones and the internet, you know, they went on vacation. And if anyone needed to reach you, you would leave a message with, you know, the hotel. And even before voicemail, people would have to find you on your telephone, you know, when you were available. So life continued. So here's what I did. I love to, I love to take pictures when I'm on vacation, but I noticed that while I was taking pictures, I would get an email or a text or, or a bleep here and there that would immediately change my mood with my family. And I, and I found a big culprit. So here's what I did. Upon landing at my destination this time, I went ahead and I bought a camera. So I would leave my cell phone in my hotel room for the day, or sometimes I would turn it off and and left it in my backpack with, you know. My wife and my daughter both told me that they haven't seen me so at peace and engaged with them on vacation in years. So guess what? The world didn't end. At night, I would check my email and messages once a day, and all the cortisol will go up at night one time, but that's it. And it worked out just fine. So sometimes we must learn how to say no. Don't be held hostage by technology and distractions. I just wanted to illustrate, uh, you know, one way to finding inner peace. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's great that you thought to do that on your vacation, you know, to realize those things that are stressing us out. Um, that's what having perspective is, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's being aware, it's being conscious of those things that, you know, you really don't want. And again, it goes back to your values. You know, if you value time with your family and you value having, 
um, good conversation and engagement, then it's smart to put your cell phone away and put your social media away. And, and maybe it's about special games to go on your social media. I know one of the things that I've done this summer as I'm working on a new book is I literally, I've, I haven't been on social media. I just, I've, I've got a team that posts for me for the summer and I can't tell you how wonderful, you know, my summer's been just because I haven't been on any social media per se all summer long. And it's just helped me be so much more present and in the flow of my work and, you know, and, and, and not having those artificial boosts that I heard recently there's some sort of, um, like, like a lot of game people who are authoring games and, and the game creators are having a neuroscience background and even like, like the different social media platforms are even releasing likes in like chunks of 10 and 20 to, to boost the kids that are watching those likes go up and down or up, you know, and, and it's all meant to create this, um, sense of dependence, the sense of addiction to social media and being on your, you know, phone constantly. And I think, I think it really, if we're aware of that, then we could say that the dangers of that are that, you know, we aren't going to be as present to our families and, and have the deeper connections to people that really create intimacy and, and the kind of relationships that are part of our well-being as a human species, if you really think about it. I mean, so I love that you did that, Mel, that you were wise enough to buy the camera and to get off of, you know, being available to your social media. I mean, that's wonderful. And look at the result that you had by just that one small change. You know, I think that's one of the things that the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series has always pointed people to is that it doesn't take large changes in your life to create like large things that you have to do to create large shifts in your perspective or in your mental health and well-being. And what we want to do is have access to our mental health and well-being so that that impacts all of our relationships and it impacts all of the outcomes that we deeply desire in our lives. And I hope folks you try that. I was so happy and so engaged and connected. I haven't been like that for years and I wonder why. I used to think I'm such a, you know, I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but I think I'm a good father. I'm a good husband, but I feel disconnected sometimes because I'm answering, you know, hold on, let me just get back to you because I have a voicemail to respond to. Anyway, you know, thousands of years ago, Epictetus, a Greek philosopher said, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. How do we deal with our reactions, which, which most of the time immobilizes from acting rationally? Well, you know, that's a great question because um, one of the things that the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series has always spoken to is to become more responsive to life versus reactive to life. And when we speak of being reactive, we're talking about those times where we don't think before we speak, where we just have a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, let's say, for example, um, your kids walk through the door and, you know, maybe they're having some sort of drama going on and they tell you the story and then you suddenly just react to the story or they say something or your spouse says something that annoys you. And instead of just allowing it to settle for a moment, 
maybe taking a couple of deep breaths and pausing, people just launch into a reaction. Now, these kinds of reactions are never going to um, come with an outcome that is satisfactory to anyone. Usually, it evokes a negative response from the people that you're reacting to. Um, you don't feel good about reacting. You know, what we've always really taught people to do in our work is to try and take a golden pause, we call it, just a, a simple pause, a time of breath to, you know, activate your parasympathetic nervous system, get yourself out of reactive mode and into, we call it from, you know, the amygdala part of your brain, which is the fight or flight part to the, the prefrontal cortex, which is the CEO of your brain. And just simple breaths will do that. Like it'll just put you in the CEO part of your brain and where you can respond to what's happening in a much more healthy way. And, and then just knee jerk reactions, which are generally never going to come with a great outcome. You know, I know you were fond and, and Dr. Carlson, your husband, fun of Dr. Wayne Dyer. Here's a quote from Dr. Dyer. He said, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Is it all a matter of perspective, Chris? Oh, I think so. I mean, so much of it is about, um, you know, when people see the lens through which they view the world, uh, we talk about it in a way, um, we've always talked about it as your, your thoughts create your reality and then your reality is based on the filter from which you view the world. And the filter is, of course, um, it's designed specifically to each individual based upon their own belief system, you know, the kinds of things that happened to them in their childhood, the kinds of mentors um, that they had, um, the kinds of any, you know, all of these things, whether it's, it's positive or negative, it impacted your filter system and what you see in the world. Um, one of the most powerful things that really supports this now is that happiness researcher, um, Sean Acor, um, he wrote this book called The Happiness Advantage. And I've had a number of conversations with him over the years about happiness. And one of the cool conversations that's happening now is with neuroscience, which basically um, a lot of the findings support so much of what don't sweat the small stuff and Dr. Wayne Dyer and, you know, just what Richard said, all of the you know great psychologists of our era that didn't have the advantage of that research, it really supports them and saying, you know, that yes, happiness in and of itself is a choice. And, you know, we get exposed to so much information every second. I mean, it's something like 11 million bits of information in a second, but our minds only process 40 bits of that information. That's 40 out of 11 million possibilities. That's not very much, but it's a safety mechanism for our minds to only process a small amount of what is available for us to see, because otherwise we would be completely in overwhelm all the time and all the information that is available, you know, for us to see and view. So, when we talk about that conversation amidst keeping life in perspective, we have to remember that the kinds of information that we're actually exposing ourselves to are the ones that we anticipate seeing. And so that, you know, whether or not you have a negative or positive bias in how you view the world, 
is, is really powerful, you know, and, and you do have control over not necessarily like when you have a thought, but you definitely have a control over whether you're going to stay engaged in the thought patterns that you do, that you do have. So let's say you're on a negative role of some kind, which, um, you know, you, you've, you've been annoyed, you know, something is, is really bothering you and you keep rehearsing over and over and over in your mind, a conversation that you have to have with somebody that annoyed you. Um, you know, when you're doing that, you know, unfortunately that's what you're focused on, right? So all the rest of your life is just kind of passing you by while your mind is on that, you know, on that negative role. But if you can catch yourself and start to become more and more aware early on, you know, to the kinds of thoughts that you're having and you're engaged in that, you can decide to stop that at any time because the chances are that rehearsing that conversation over and over again isn't necessarily going to help you have that conversation. And if it's negative, you're probably just rehearsing over and over something negative that you don't really want to say anyways. Does that make sense to you, Mel? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, folks, perhaps some of the questions that I'm asking may sound as if I'm being judgmental, but that's not my intention. For example, so many people, Chris, are, are dissatisfied with how they, they look, what they have not accomplished, and, and the list goes on. Shouldn't there, be, shouldn't there come a time when we make peace with our imperfections? Oh, always. I mean, I think, you know, I think that's like one of the fundamental, one of the fundamental laws of happiness is that you really have to make peace with imperfection, realize that the world in and of itself is perfectly imperfect. And so is everything in it. And, you know, I think that sometimes people get in the habit of being dissatisfied because they're afraid that if they get too content, then they may not be driven or motivated. We make the mistake of thinking that by beating ourselves up or by, you know, like being negative on ourselves is what's driving us when all that's really doing is just driving us into the ground. It's just, it's driving down that, you know, highly motivational, inspirational, um, positive spirit, which really could be holding you back from being more successful. I mean, now the research shows that positive people are far more successful um, in their careers and, and have better outcomes in all their relationships than, you know, people who are more negative. And so it, it behooves us to really do our best to keep our attitude positive and to just, um, again, it, it seems very simple and it really is. It's, it's about being aware. It's about knowing that you have the choice and about being aware. And when I say you have the choice, you, you do, you have the choice whether or not you're going to continue to engage in negative thoughts. You really do. And it, and it, it might be challenging at first, but everything new is challenging, you know, but keeping like a gratitude journal, for example, is really powerful to shift the way you view the world. You know, if you can, shift from looking at the world as being incompetent and not having enough of everything to seeing a world that has abundance in your own life and to spend more time focused on what you're grateful for than what you want in your life, that's going to really help you become a more positive person and more optimistic overall. And I'm sure you've heard the saying, you manifest the thoughts 
that you entertain, that we realize we're creating a snowball effect with our thinking. Yeah, that's a chapter in Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, <laughs> I think. It is. <laughs> or many of the books, yeah. yeah. So the snowball way of thinking, you know, is it, it's just like a snowball. You start with something small and it just grows and grows and grows. And again, I'm, I'm going to go back to the point I made earlier and that when you're focused on something that, you know, you're worried about or that is perhaps insignificant, it will be insignificant a year from now. Um, you know, if it's really small, it will be insignificant even tomorrow. When you're focused on that and those kinds of issues and things and bothered by minor annoyances, then you're missing, you know, you're missing the opportunity um, that's at hand to experience joy and to be present and to live your life from a different space within yourself, from to live your life from your mental health and well-being versus um, being, you know, in your negative state of mind. And that's not to say that we don't all have negative states of mind. I mean, I do daily, but I'm able to check and balance myself and say, wow, that was, that's a really negative thing to say to yourself about yourself or someone else. And then opt off that train. Do you see what I'm alluding to? It's like, there's, you can just stop at any time as long as you're aware, but it's, it's the times when we're not aware, you know, and and we talk a lot about moods and feelings as being the barometer and guide um, to your thinking. So let's just say you are in a low mood. Um, you're not feeling that great. You are in a low mood. Well, that's the time to ask yourself, geez, where is my thinking taking me? Where, what are my thoughts right now? And to realize at that point, you don't have to stay on that train of thought that by just simply shifting that awareness and even being aware that you are thinking those negative things, if you know that that's happening, then likely your mind is suddenly going to pop off of that train. It's just what happens. Nothing to do to do it. You're just not going to sit. It's like sitting against a door. You're not going to just sit and bang your head against the door and go, ouch, oh, that hurt again. Let me bang it again. Ouch, oh, that hurt again. <laughs> you're going to yeah. actually, you're, you're going to actually say, wow, now this new understanding that I have that my thoughts are actually at the very epicenter of this terrible mood I'm in. I am going to like go clear my head. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to feed the dog and be really present with the dog. I'm going to go and just clear my head of this thinking. However you clear your head, take a shower, you know, just be present in your body, be present in your life. That that's all you have to do. And, and then suddenly notice that you might be just feeling a little bit better. Your, your mood starts to rise instantly when you get off those negative trains of thought. And so much of Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and the Don't Sweat series is really based on um, a book that Richard wrote earlier in his career called You Can Be Happy No Matter What. And there's five principles in that book that are very thoughtful about your mental health and well-being. But the entire Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series is um, that points to, and, and so many of these I've been talking about this hour. This is why we hear the word mindfulness. It's a very popular word lately, but I wonder if people really know what that means. Let me just define it for the listeners. Mindfulness, a mental state 
achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment, that's key, while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations used as a therapeutic technique. You can use that all the time. Now, I'm sure you've heard the saying, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, we keep talking about perspective. How important is compassion in changing our perspective? Wow. Well, compassion is everything because, you know, oftentimes the things we do get really bothered by have to do with other people. And, you know, I, I love the story of, um, there's a story in Chicken Soup for the Soul of a man riding the train. Um, it was a crowded train and he was riding the train with his three children and he, and there, and, and it's told from this, from the man who has the children's side, but it's also, he, he, he realizes that his kids are out of control on the train, but his head is low and he's just really not doing much about it. And then a man that's sitting there is, is watching him and says something to him negative about, you know, can you please just control your kids? And the, and the man looks up. And he, he looks forlorn at the man. He says, I'm really sorry. We just came from the hospital and my, my wife has just died. They've just lost their mother. And I don't, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sorry. My kids are out of control. And, and the man, you know, who, who's, who's sitting there, he's like, Oh, wow. You know, I, I had no idea. I'm no worries. You know, I, of course, probably backpedaled on that. But again, you know, the, the point of that, story is that you just don't know what is going on in somebody else's life. And I think when we can keep that in the back of our minds, you know, always, not just sometimes, but always that we just don't know, we can't walk in somebody else's shoes. We just don't know like what, what is going on in their lives. So maybe see people and the world is a little more innocent sometimes than we tend to think. And I think that that's how a really great way to access compassion um, is to really be able to do your best to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, you know, as the best you can and give people a break, you know, give people a break, you know, just that's what not sorting the small stuff is more about than anything. It's about, you know, just not reacting to stuff that just doesn't really matter much. You know, you got, you have plenty of things to deal with in your life that do matter, you know, save your energy for that stuff. Because, you know, when that stuff comes around, there's no mistaking it. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I often tell the story that, you know, there were things that uh, were on my radar, you know, the day that Richard died, that, you know, it was like about getting Christmas cards out and, you know, maybe I was annoyed at a girlfriend about something or whatever, you know, just, it was, it was a lot of stuff that when he died, I'm none of that stuff ever mattered to me ever since. I mean, I, none of, I, I just, you don't sweat the small stuff when you're living the big stuff. You really don't. And it's really easy to, you know, get in the habit of being dramatic and letting life's little annoyances when your husband throws his underwear down in the, in the sh shower next to the laundry hamper and it doesn't make it in the laundry hamper or, you know, your kids are always leaving their, you know, soda cans out or whatever it is. But, you know, you have to remember that if those if things weren't happening and that person was no longer there, you'd be devastated about that. And, and, you know, I certainly, I've had that experience. So I can tell you by experience that that's true. But I think if you, if, if anyone thinks about it, 
then they're going to know that that's also true as well. Everybody's fighting their own battles. And I also like what you have in the book. You know, maybe you need to look at people as if they're babies or 100-year-olds. Perhaps your perspective might change even more. Exactly. That is a way that you can keep life in perspective with with people. And even sometimes, you know, you think about your own kids, how mad you can get at your own kids. But if you look at a baby picture of them, <laughs> that often brings yeah. them all back. <laughs> oh, they're so cute. Remember them? Like how cute they are. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. If you can picture somebody in a fragile state, you know, a more fragile state that often is a way to, um, bring that feeling of compassion back and, and, um, yeah, I think being compassionate is, is the really the only, it's the gentlest way to live. And it certainly is far easier to be gentle and kind, much healthier to be gentle and kind than it is to be harsh and angry and unkind. Now, let me read this from the book, quote, So many of us live our lives as if the secret purpose is to somehow get everything done. We stay up late get up early, avoid having fun, and keep our loved ones waiting. Sadly, I've seen many people who put off their loved ones so long that the loved ones lose interest in maintaining the relationship, unquote. Now, this is so true, Chris. How do we remind ourselves that the purpose of life isn't to get it all done, but to enjoy each step along the way and live a life filled with love? You know, I'd say 90% of the things we worry about, we have no control over. So why worry about them? Well, the thing is, um, you know, again, I think it goes back to now people really being able to evaluate their habits, you know, and their, their values. And, and, you know, if you think about your actions lining up with your values, that's the most important thing. And most people's actions don't line up with their values. Um, and, you know, or a lot of times you'll find that there's a disconnect there. And I think, You have to, if you value relationship and you value connection, then you have to put in the time and energy to make sure that happens in your life. And that's the action part. Very important. Now, here's another casualty of social media. And I hate to say this, but this is this is something that perhaps was not there when the book was written. But this is so pervasive. Now, I see so many people doing something nice, but they have to advertise it you know, to the world. Shouldn't we do something nice for someone else and, and don't tell anyone about it? Isn't that a great feeling to do it anonymously? Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's another chapter in Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Yeah. Is to do it, do your things anonymously because it just feels good to do it. You know, there's, um, Richard and I spent some time at a couple of different ashrams, um, in India and, that principal practice is called seva. It's, it's actually a practice of, um, not taking any ego credit for the things that you do from, for people. Um, it's just, it's just a delightful way to, to just know that you're doing good works in the world, but not necessarily needing the credit for it. Um, yeah, I think it's just, it's just a way it just gives you so much joy that there's so much joy inherent in giving to other people, that the reward of just the gift and the giving is joy. It's reward enough is to have that joy. 
and look, I'm sure most people listening to us have busy lives. We all do. You know, today's society is designed to keep us in a rush so we don't have to, you know, the time to smell the proverbial roses. You know, one trait of, of being busy is interrupting others before they finish what they're saying or even finishing their sentences for them. I used to be guilty of this, but thankfully being a radio host has helped me immensely to stop, you know, the bad habit. How important is for us to be patient when others are having a conversation with us? Yeah, so I think it's so important to be patient with people and allow people to speak and just to listen. I mean, if we think about what we would really want when we're speaking, we want somebody to patiently listen. And I think it's one of the greatest gifts that we can give each other is to listen well. And it's just so healing to be heard. And yeah, I think, I think being patient and not finishing people's sentences is just the very, it's just, it's just a mere courtesy. It's, it's a wonderful thing. We call it becoming a world-class listener. When you can become a world-class listener, you're just, you're so present to the person that you're with. And I just don't think there's anything more healing than that. I mean, I think that's why people go to therapy, actually. So you can save yourself a lot of dollars and just listen to your family. <laughs> <laughs> but you said something interesting there. You know, people, uh, you know, talk therapy used to be something common. People would go to the, their psychologist or therapist and just do some talk therapy. And I, I don't bring to I don't mean to bash pharmaceutical industry here, but right now I hear all the time people have less and less talk therapy and more and more prescription medication for depression. What's your thought on that? Well, yeah, I don't know the statistics offhand. I know that they've been really high over the years um, that people have been really overprescribed to um, as far as, you know, just taking a pill to help them be happier, you yeah. know, um, it's always the short, you know, certainly there's cases where it's important. I mean, when you have somebody who has a true chemical issue, um, you know, they may need that boost of, you know, their chemistry to get out of a very serious, um, you know, chemical issue that they're having with their brain. Um, but, you know, there's so much more natural stuff now, too, that people can do, um, you know, just by researching a little bit with the Amen Clinic, for example, who does all this amazing um, brain research, you know, if you go to the amenclinic.com, you can look on there and they, they, there's so many natural things that you can do as, as instead of get on medication. And again, the inner work is so important. I mean, if you understand how to help yourself and how to help yourself keep your, your, um, life in perspective, how to access your mental health and well-being by the things that you practice in life on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, for example, if you wake up really stressed out in the morning to an alarm clock and you just run out of bed and you're just like, like a, you're already putting out fires from the moment you wake up in the morning, instead of just, you know, creating some sort of peaceful start to your day, you know, we've always recommended people get up a little bit earlier and um, so they can create a very peaceful ritual to how they start their day that includes gratitude, that includes um, maybe a spiritual practice, might include prayer, might include yoga, might include soft music or even, you know, having coffee with your loved, you know, your spouse or your partner or your kids 
or whatever, but just not rushing, you know, right off to the start to the races in the morning will pay great dividends to your ability to be more peaceful throughout your day. You know, if you start your day peacefully, you'll live more peacefully. There's just things that you can practice on an ongoing basis that really help you, you know, be in that peaceful, more content, more positive space within yourself. You know, here's another trait that shows how we have to tame our ego. You know, I think our our ego is a defense mechanism, but sometimes, you know, when somebody's telling you a story, instead of jumping in and saying something like, uh, oh, I did something like that, you talk about surrendering your need for attention and let the other person have the glory. Tell us more. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? That, you know, it, it, you allow other people to kind of, it's okay to let them feel really good about themselves without you having to one up them and better their story with your own story. Yeah. Yeah. Upmanship is a great way to describe it. So, without one upping somebody or even correcting them, you know, like a lot, a lot of times you'll see partners do that. And, you know, one person will tell a story and then the other person will have maybe seen it slightly different and will correct them, you know, and, and that's just, you know, those are, again, those are habits that people practice that aren't creating the healthiest relationships or the healthiest connections that they could. So the, the opposite would also be true that, to practice allowing people to have the glory, to practice allowing people to say the story the way they would say it. And just, you know, just allowing that to happen and just taking joy and their joy is really a better strategy for life and a better strategy for your relationships as well. Live and let live and let live. Now, <laughs> before we discuss the next topic, I'm, I'm reminded of John Lennon's quote, Life is what happens when we're busy making plans. And again, I was guilty of this for a long time. I remember years ago in a pool somewhere zipping a a, a cocktail and telling an ex-girlfriend about our next vacation. And she told me, are you serious? You're in an incredible location on vacation and you're planning for the future? Another vacation? Enjoy today. I didn't realize I was doing that. How important is to live in the present moment? Well, you know, I talked about those five principles in Richard's book, You Can Be Happy No Matter What, that the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series points to. And one of those principles is present moment living. Now, there's a lot that's been said over the years about living presently. You know, I like to describe it as being in kind of a vertical alignment with your breath in your body. And that's how I describe it for myself. And what I mean by that is, my mind is, is, is really present in, I'm not thinking about my future. I'm not thinking about my past. I'm really deeply engaged in this moment and in my experience. Now, ironically and interestingly, people are most present. Can you, can you guess when they're the most present, Mel? Um, what? Well, sleeping? No, people <laughs> are the most present while they're having sex. <laughs> I was thinking of sex, but I didn't want to say it. Yeah, that's when people are the most present. So is is they're deeply engaged for the obvious reasons. We can all chuckle about that. And, you know, and but if we think about that, that, you know, that that is like and also people are super present when they're in danger. I don't know if you've ever had that experience 
of having things happen in slow motion, you know, whether you're in a car accident or something's going to happen. Many times. Catastrophic. Yes. Yeah. It just suddenly life slows down way down and it just happens to happen in slow motion. And well, that is the reason that happens is because suddenly you are so engaged in that moment. You are right there and you are so present and it does slow everything down. Um, you're so attentive to detail because it matters so much to your safety, to the well-being of your family, to perhaps you even, you know, living to the next moment. So we think about that. That's the kind of level of engagement we're talking about when we're talking about living presently. You watch babies do it. They're very present, aren't they? They just, they're just in their bodies and they're just immersed in the moment and they're taking in everything like a sponge, you know, and and that's not, you know, it's harder for us to do as adults, but it's not impossible to be that present and, and that absorbing of life and taking it all in and drinking it in and, you know, having that, you know, massive love affair with life itself if you're able to be really present. Mark Twain once said that to combat fear, the best strategy is to learn to bring your attention back to the present. But, you know, I sometimes wonder if we had to put our daily emotions on a pie chart, how much of that pie would be allocated to worrying? What do you think? Well, I mean, that's such an individual um, scenario, really, and only one that each person can answer. I mean, you know, what, what, and all of our worries are very different, aren't they? I mean, it, it just, that is such a very, um, you know, subject, subjective question in a way. Like, I, I, I don't know. I think it really depends on what your habit is. But each person should ask that question of themselves. If they could put their emotions on a pie chart, how much do they worry? I mean, I don't, I'm at a stage in my life where if you put my emotions on a pie chart, my slice of worry is very small. But then again, I've lived through some of my greatest things that I was afraid of. So... <laughs> I'm not as yeah. worried about those things as most people might be because I've, you know, I've survived them. And, and, you know, that, that could be the reason why I also have practiced this philosophy for my entire adult life. So I really know that worry is a perfect waste of my energy. You know, if I'm going to worry about something, I'm going to do something about it. If I can, if I can't do anything about it, I'm going to surrender to it. And, That's a principle that I live by, you know, that I, you know, I just, it, it just, that's just a really, you know, a principle of not sweating the small stuff is just learning that, you know, worry is a waste of time. Absolutely. Let it go if you can't help it. Now, I sometimes remember the people who were more than a pebble in my shoe, the people who were, who you know, we may consider the annoying coworker, the bad boss, uh, you know, I could go on and on. But when I look back, I realize they were placed on my path to teach me a lesson. They were actually teachers. And, and here's the interesting part that I think they did not disappear from my life or my path until I learned the lesson, which takes me to the next topic. Imagine, you know, that everyone is enlightened except you. Tell us more. Wow. Well, you know, I haven't read that chapter for a really long time, but I can only guess what it <laughs> says. 
I mean, just knowing Richard the way I knew him, um, you know, when you imagine everybody else is enlightened, that means that you have something that you can learn from everyone, you know, that, that it's, it's, and it's true. It is true. Whether it's something that, you know, oftentimes some of our greatest teachers really do annoy us. And that's a sign that there's a way in which you can point the finger back to yourself, you know, because they're just a mirror of something about yourself that you don't like even. And isn't that a healthy way to look at it? That, wow, if they annoy me, what part of them am I not accepting of myself or I don't like about myself? You know, it, I like to, I like to use that as a barometer of, you know, of my own growth. And, and I tend to do that when I find myself really triggered by somebody or super annoyed. I think, all right game on what what part of that person is really me and i just it's in the shadow and i just really don't want to acknowledge that right now like a mirror mirror exactly and because in the sense you know we are all mirrors of each other you know i every person is there to something there's not you can learn by their example of what's right, and you can also learn by their example of what's wrong. I often say to my clients who are hung up on not getting enough from their mom or their dad or their parents or they were something, you know, didn't go right. I often say, well, then they taught you based on the example of what you didn't want to be, and you can thank them for that because you that's how you learned. You didn't want to be like that, so you, so they gave you a great example of how not to be. And I think, you know, we can look at people that way. We can thank them however they show up because we can say, you know, wow, I can love you from a distance, but no, thank you. I'm not going to necessarily put myself in your proximity very often. <laughs> like You don't have to be a friend with everyone, you know, but to treat everyone with uh, a sense of respect and kindness, you know, that. That's just, I think, at a base level, what it means to be a good human being is, you know, to prioritize being gentle and and kind over being um, the opposite. You know, you don't have to be right every time that you're talking with somebody. Maybe choosing kindness over being right is what's in order in certain conversations. You know, and I think those people that live their lives with a with a a modicum amount of kindness in their heart and, and in their words and in their actions really are happy people and they live their lives with a lot of joy. Yeah, especially people who don't always have to be right. You know, it seems to me that a lot of what we're discussing tonight deals with taming the ego. And again, here's another one. Do we want to always be right or do we want to be happy? Should we let others be right most of the time? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's again, it's it's like the whole Akita way of living, of, exactly you know, getting out of the way, you know, just like instead of like fighting, just like step aside and let it all go past you. I mean, what's what's in it for you to do the fight? You know, I mean, that's what I think you have to ask yourself: what's in it for you to do the fight? Maybe it's just you know, and and okay, here's. There are times where I think you you need to stand up for what's right. I do believe that. Like in justice situations, there's times. It's not always about stepping out of the way. 
But we know those times of arguments that are unimportant. You know, we know those times when you need to choose your battles with your kids and your your partner. And you, you don't, you know, we know those times in the office or in a boardroom or, you know, when it's just important to just let that comment go by. You know, I, I've had some situations in my lifetime where I, I couldn't, I had to stand up for my family. You know, I had to say, you will not treat us this way. I, you know, I had to go to the law, you know, that there are times where you, you just, you need to stand up for yourself. It's not a, that's not a sweat that not sweat the small stuff situation, you know, but for the most part for, you know, living life and having great relationships with friends and with family members you know, I know like when not to go in a certain direction, like, for example, my dad and I have very different political views. You know, this last election was really, really hard because we didn't see eye to eye. But I'll tell you what, I made it I made it my sole strategy to just let my dad, you know, say what he says and me just step away and say, I'm not going there. You know, I don't need to be right with my dad. I'm not going to win that argument. Why would I go there? Why would I waste my energy and, and, you know, to have that argument that's just, it's not going to, I know what the outcome is going to be already. I don't need to be right. Someone told me this years ago and I live by it. It matters of, of, it matters of opinion, go with the flow. It matters of principle, stand like a rock. And now I, here's an important one that requires a, a lot of effort to attain patience. Why is patience so important and how do we become more patient? Well, you know, patience is something I think is an art that I've had to learn my whole life time for. <laughs> I would say like as a, as a matter of speaking, I wasn't the most patient young person and I still am working on patience all the time. I mean, I think, you know, patience is again, it's about becoming responsive to life and less reactive and, you know, knowing that, you know, life has its own flow, like there's this own flow of, of timing that's often happening and, you know, somewhat being surrendered to that and, and maybe not being as tied to outcomes is the way to be patient. You know, one of the strategies that we've always talked about in our work is, um, expect less and receive more, you know, that, when you have high expectations of outcomes, it doesn't, this doesn't mean that you don't work or give your best or want for the best outcome. It just means that you do your best and let go of the rest and you let life, you know, you always put your best foot forward. You always give what you can to life to make things work out, to strive for your goals, to strive for the desired end result, but then you let go and you know, and that that's really the happiest way to be. I mean, if you're going to, you know, make it about pursuing your purpose and your human potential and not so much about every single outcome, because a lot of times you're going to you're going to receive the desired end result of something. And a lot of times you're not. And I think not sweating the small stuff is about doing your best and letting go of the rest. And I think patience is like a muscle. We have to exercise in order to yeah to develop it uh, you know see it grow and 
I have a question that I'd like to get your answer on the other side because we have to take one and only break. You know, as we continue to discuss aspects of life that need change in order to, you know, for us to fully live, realize how much of, of this life we see go by while, you know, we hold on to our ego. I'm sure most people listening have had a disagreement with a loved one. You know, we always think we're right. And what do we do? We say, uh, let her or him apologize first. I haven't done anything wrong, which is probably what the other person is thinking too. But isn't it sad that sometimes it's too late to make that phone call? Why do we wait until we can't make the phone call, you know, write the letter or, or make that visit to reach out and make things better? Should we be the first ones to act lovingly and, and, and reach out? And I'll get you answer on the other side, but tell our listeners how to buy this excellent book and all the other books. Ah, thanks. Yeah, just you can, if you want to look at the books, you can go to our website, www.dontsweat.com. And we have all of the books there to look at. And then you just, you know, go to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Any of the great booksellers will have our books um, available in stock. So, but, you know, definitely go visit our website. It's really beautiful and you can check out every single book and check out the body of our work and who we are there as well. And I want to send a big thank you to my good friend Agnieszka. Aggie actually was recently reading the book and loved it. And she asked me, have you had, you know, Christine on your show? So I had to make contact with you. So Aggie is a huge fan of, of yours and your uh-huh. husband's and, and she helped me make this happen. Oh, great. Hey, Aggie, thanks. (laughs) So I'm here with Christine Carlson. (laughs) Don't sweat the small stuff. Much more that you do not want to miss when we come back. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thanks for listening to part one of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest, head on over to the member section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. You don't want to miss the rest. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store where you can find great products like pure organic sulfur, Rebounders, turmeric, and other great supplements. Thank you.